0: Hello and welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the podcast that pits Jane Austen against all three Bronte sisters. And for the month of September, we're throwing Francis Hodgson Burnett into the loop. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman. Oh, Team Team Austen. <laughs> team Austin. I'm true team story. Austin. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I am your host, Lauren Burke, Team Bronte, but Team Burnett for the month. Is it Burnett or Burnett? You keep getting Frances Bernie confused with Frances Hodgson Burnett. No,
0: I know it's spelled Burnett. I'm <laughs> pronouncing it Bennet <laughs> You're just Is giving her an my... extra f- French flair. Well, shall
1: we re-record well, it? <laughs> it's up to you. Would you like to? You can go ahead. Yeah. Okay,
0: go ahead. I always spell it right. <laughs> yeah, you do spell it right. I do. I'm just, <sighs> okay. I'm a Rosalie, not a Bettina. Give me a break. hello and welcome to bonnets at dawn (laughs) okay oh rosalie
1: so this month on the podcast we are discussing the shuttle um just want to mention that This is available via Persephone, which we have been encouraging everyone to pick up because we love supporting women-owned business, women-owned publisher. Um, It's also free on Kindle and on Project Gutenberg.
0: And it's on LibriVox and Audible as well. Uh, Please note, if you buy the version from Persephone, it is abridged and the chapter headings are different. They are. Um, we will discuss this a little bit later on the show, but uh, sorry, guys. It's, you're only missing about 30 pages, though. Did not know. <laughs> when- <laughs> and another quick warning uh, just, I think, for the rest of this month on Facebook and in the show, um, trigger warning for discussion on abuse, like quite a bit from the point of view. Um, of the survivor and of the abuser, and from the points of view of family, so we're getting in. We're getting in there.
1: Yeah, but first, no trigger warning needed for Francis's life. So um, we're gonna do some Francis facts. It's not as catchy as Lily facts, is it? No,
0: but it also doesn't sound like a sanitary towel. So. <laughs>
1: So you're fine with it. Um, So, yeah, I want to tell you guys a little bit more about like Francis. Um, I want to tell you so much about Francis, but we only have a limited amount of time. So I'll jump right in here and say that I did um, recommend a few months ago Francis's memoir, which is called The One I Knew Best. Um, I went ahead and gave it a go and it was quite a difficult read. It's like a memoir about her childhood, which is... Great when you're like looking back on her life and you know as a biographer, but yeah. it's not like wildly compelling, okay. I have to say. And it's also written um in the third person, just like has this like really removed voice. Oh, that's so weird. It's really weird. Like what I love most too about like memoirs is that it's like someone just kind of like spilling their secrets, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm at the end of my life, here's my memoir. Yeah, thinking of like Catherine Hepburn's memoir, or like Agatha I have
0: a Celebrity TV show, like I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, and then this is my memoir from the first twenty years of my life. Sure, why not? <laughs> like that? <laughs> no, I feel like those are so big in the UK reality TV shows. It's like, are they memoir? And it's like you're not even thirty. Like, <laughs> who are you? See no me after the class, kid. Right.
1: Yeah. I love an end of life, like I don't give a fuck kind of memoir. I don't think I've ever read one. So Oh, I'll give you a few suggestions. But no. um this is not one of them. <laughs> so <laughs> I went ahead and switched to Beyond the Secret Garden by Anne Thwaite, kind of like Missile Thwaite Manor. Oh. Um pretty good. Pretty good. I like it. I would I would recommend it. There's not too many out there for dear old Francis when, you know, compared to like the Brontes or Jane Austen, yeah. of course. So, you know, it's slim pickings out there. Anyway, Francis Eliza Hodgson, can't, still, still can't say Hodgson, um, was born on November 2nd, 1849 in Manchester. So as quoted in the bio, not too far away at that very moment, Mrs. Gaskell was writing to Miss Bronte to congratulate her on Shirley. And Gaskell's bio or Gaskell's book, Mary Barton, had been published just the year prior. So that kind of puts you in. It's all happened in Manchester. Gives you a little It's all happened in Manchester. It kind of gives you a little context to where the other ladies are. Um, Francis's parents were Eliza Boond, I believe this is pronounced Boond. B-O-O-N-D. Boond. <laughs> um, I don't know. Edwin Hodgson uh, was her father. And they were really, like, just solidly middle class. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe lower middle class, but, uh, you know, yeah. Some middle class peeps. Edwin was a silversmith and an ironmonger, and he created sort of, like, you know, furnishings, like uh, like chandeliers and whatnot. So yeah. the Great Exhibition of 1851 actually gave that business quite a bit of a boost because they had this, like, crazy hardware section, Oh really? And yeah, so you just think about all like the new money people in Manchester, you know, all the new factory
0: workers. The Great Exhibition was that the one in the big old conservatory that the Duchess from the Borrowers lives in. (laughs) My God, my brain is making like some connections here. That's like yeah, you're you're just firing up. It's firing up. What's it? The big old glass greenhouse thing. And it has a big old ec- crystal Gardens. crystal palace, crystal palace, crystal, pa- is that what you crystal mean? palace. Is that yes. where the great crystal ec- palace was? I think so. The ironmongers—they built it. Great business. <laughs> <That> <laughs> great was, business. That's my point. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's in uh, that kids' book about the mice that talk. Oh, it is. Yeah, the <laughs> Disney is. version it doesn't have it, but the book version. There's a duchess in it, and she lives in it. No one. Knows. Oh, guys, Lauren, move on, <laughs> move on, quick. <laughs>
1: so um so yeah yeah every well everyone went to the great exhibition they saw this section and they're like yeah i want some fancy chandeliers and whatnot for my nice new money bourgeois house right yeah new money new chandelier problems exactly so um so yeah there's like you know kind of kind of gave the hodgson's a little little cash um because of this like francis moved quite a bit as a child so They were kind of always sort of, like, moving up in the world. Yeah. They were kind of always moving up as a family. Yeah. So moving to slightly nicer new digs each time. Um, And then it was also to accommodate, like, a growing family. But then in 1853, Edwin died suddenly of a stroke while Eliza was pregnant with her fifth child. So... It's like everything was going really well. She was born into this very happy middle class family. They were kind of moving up in the world, had servants and a lot of kids, and then suddenly, boom, dad's dead. The breadwinner Gone. Yeah. And the family starts moving down, right? So now okay. they're like, okay, now we move to move to a slightly, you know, shittier house and a slightly shittier house. Or we've got to move in with family.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and that's yeah, that's what happened. So the family moved into a house with relatives and Eliza decided she was gonna take over the business. Yes, Eliza, get it. Yes, she's like, All right. And it just reminds me too of just a few weeks ago, we were talking about widows taking over the businesses.
0: Yes. It happens.
1: It happens. So the children you, at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so the children were then looked after um by their grandmother. Grandma is really the person that sort of instilled this love of reading and storytelling in Frances. So she was the one that was constantly sort of reading to her, finding books for her. Uh, One of the books that Eliza or that Frances talks about early on in her memoir was um, a book about flowers. Mm -hmm. She she loved flowers and gardens kind of like from the start. And obviously we know this from The Secret Garden, but starting to see it a little bit in the shuttle as well. A lot of talk of gardens and whatnot.
0: Yeah, like the descriptions of um, Stornham are just like amazing, and also they are both Betty and Rosalie and Uhtred are, Like, oh, she likes it, and she's like walking around. And it's like the two sisters, like, oh, this is really beautiful. This is really lovely. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You can tell she has this like really real appreciation for nature. It just kind of pops up in a lot of her novels, and so yeah, um, kind of just that began real early. Um, one of Frances's favorite books as a kid was uncle tom's cabin so i feel like we just need to have like a new bonnets at dawn game which is just like we take a shot every time harriet beecher stowe like creeps up somewhere oh my like I've, I she keeps creeping I up he... with like every Ribbit. just like you know with elizabeth gaskell and every time you forget who she is <laughs> oh my
0: god who is she like charlotte perkins gilman louisa yeah, may alcott gilman wrote the yellow wallpaper louisa may alcott wrote little women who the heck is all Harry- friends <laughs> all friends with harriet everyone Are knows they? harriet yeah elizabeth as well have you told like, me this before i have yeah am i i'm an android and this is like my source code <laughs> like a floor <laughs> like code. memento i forget harriet Beecher stoke.
1: We're going to have to do an episode on Harriet Beecher Stowe. Like, I saw this as soon as I read this anecdote about Frances. So, basically, what was going down was Frances was reenacting scenes from Uncle Tom's Cabin, which is about slavery. Oh. And her mother became very disturbed when she saw her, like, whipping her dolls. (laughs) Yes. I know. I was like, good Lord. I was like, I would be disturbed probably as well. But, you know, she's
0: a child. Oh
1: my goodness. Act, overactive imagination. Is
0: Harriet Beach Um, in that? Did she write Uncle Tom's Cabin? She did. She wrote it. <laughs> it's thought, very like I thought she was just there whipping the It's a very close.
1: famous anti-slavery novel okay. um which would be very Pirate interesting to cover Beech's in like a mo- from a modern perspective.
0: Harriet Beecher Stowe right
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And she knew everybody.
0: Okay. That's- I remember that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Another anecdote that really stood out to me in this book um, was one about Frances watching her mother come home and hang up her black bonnet and just sort of like announcing in the hallway that she was no good at business and that she had failed them all. Oh, and sad. Yeah. Like, honestly, this was like really not her fault. Um, the economy in Manchester was just in a tailspin and this was due to the cotton panic. And I believe this may have like come up a bit during our North and South series, but um, that cotton panic was just caused by the Civil War, mm-hmm. and how you guys you couldn't get the cheap cotton anymore, and um, yeah, yeah, well, money funny.
0: dried it, up, and so no one's panic. buying. the The initial cotton panic was actually that American cotton was so cheap, and um, it was putting um, we was putting weed everyone, weed yeah, yeah. So it's funny that and then there's a cotton panic in like a different way, and it's like, oh, well, I think the stuff that we're used to is no longer gonna be available, right? Now, yeah, I
1: think I if I read it correctly, I really like skimmed over the cotton panic, but yeah, basically, it was first we kind of put you guys into a tailspin because <laughs> like, we took away to the business, stuff. and, now and like, then you, you know, adjusted have- for it,
0: <laughs> and now that's <laughs> and too. then.
1: And then, yeah, and then now it's gone again and um, people are just like, what do we do? And uh, we're not going to buy our fancy sandaliers anymore. We're just, we know that for sure. So Eliza was forced to sell the family business. And shortly after, she decided to pack up and move the family to Tennessee where she had family. Um, so this year was 1865 when she decided to move. Mm-hmm. And Frances was 15. So I know that like Frances is always listed as sort of like British American. And I've always wondered just like how how British, how American. Yeah, but I feel like if you spend your first like 15 years in Manchester and then she goes back and forth, Mm -hmm. pretty British, pretty British.
0: Well, I I grew up until I was 14 in Portsmouth. And then so like for me, I was like a child in Portsmouth. Right. And then I became Mm -hmm. a teenager and then an adult in Bristol. And so and it's not the same as two consonants, but like in terms of like, those are very formative years and it's a really interesting age to move because kind of 15 onwards, it's like you're becoming an adult. You've got like a personality, a bit more independent. Yeah. So to move at that age, that would be like, oh, you were a child in England and like your childhood is an English childhood. I think if yeah. she was younger, she would have had an experience of an American childhood, but really at 15, like you're kind of turning into like, you're not an adult. Like I'm not saying 50. Right. Right. But like, no, totally. Like
1: she, like her schooling pretty much ends here as well. Yeah. Like she had gone to a little, a little dame school and, um, you know, and had been around her family who was also teaching her as well. She had a nursemaid for a while. So she, yeah, the formative years are in England 15. Yeah. They're moving to Tennessee. Very different environment. Like had they moved to like New York, or like Philadelphia or some East coast city that would have, I feel like been very similar to, to Manchester or what she was used to, but like move into Tennessee. is just like, it would be a culture shock for me. (laughs) And you (laughs) know, so yeah. So um, very interesting that that's where they go. um, And we'll talk more about that next week.
0: So who are the players in the shuttle Lauren wrote, mm-hmm. "I was like players, like baseball players. I'm not going to give you sports stats though. I'm just going to give okay. you. Okay, sorry. Let's like... give their names, just yeah. their names. Their names. Yeah, okay. So, well, uh, team one, the Vanderpools. Did I say that right, Vanderpools? That's how I've been pronouncing it. Sweet. So you've got Rosalie and Bettina, who are like the baby Vanderpools. They're the, they are beautiful young women, um, heiresses, like." Hundreds of millions of pounds to their names. Very, very, very well off and petted. Think like um, Rose. I forgot her name. Rose in Eight Cousins, right? Like I mean, like, yeah. Everyone is just obsessed with them. Um, yeah. you have got Ruben, their dad, Ruben Vanderpool, who is like a businessman. He has mines and trains and he's all about money 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 and loves his daughter mm-hmm. and is like interested in them he's almost like Mr Bennett-y, like not a yeah. like and also if you think about the flaws of Mr Bennett right not attentive where he should be yeah exactly yeah. I was just about to say that yeah and then Mrs Vanderpool who is kind of like she's just there like most women in these books right like <laughs> <laughs> If your mum hasn't died, she's kind of not really around. She's just like, "Oh, I'm so sad. This thing has happened," and that's all she has to say. That's Mrs. Oh, Van yeah. The, what, there you go. In chapters, at least. Um, <laughs> another Vanderpool who gets talked about all the time. So I'm listing him as a character. And this is the first Ruben Vanderpool, who was one of the like early settlers in the Americas, right? So all, right. there are all of these stories that kind of get introduced into the story of him like I don't know trading with some Native Americans and stuff and like going out there and being a hustler and yeah well he's very much like the spirit of America right like he came here with
1: nothing and built it up yeah he's very much like and I guess he would sort of his image would be sort of the ideal image of an American man and probably hang over this family he's the one that built this family he built this business Like he's got gumption, he's got ambition and drive.
0: I didn't write down the whole quote, but there is like, there is um, a section that basically says that. Oh yeah. Word for word that um, his is like the Vanderpools is a story that everybody knows. He's like there in history. He is fictional, but like, he's a fictional like historical figure what's really interesting about this introduction to the Vanderpools and something that's really important to know going forward is like, this is the equivalent of American Royal family. This is American. Yes. This is America old money, right? Mm -hmm. Established old family. And although they're getting their money through business, which in the, like in England at the time in Europe is still not the done thing, right? That's new money. In America, like very different attitude. Totally. Totally opposite attitude. So then when we meet the Anstruthers, Sir Nigel Anstruthers and his mother, the Dowager Lady Anstruthers, it's kind of like their attitude of, oh, these are just like business people. They're just like shopkeepers. It's kind of like they don't go hand in hand. They're not quite understanding the situation. Right. So they're in it a lot. Uh, We also have Uhtred, who is Uhtred Anstruther, which is a horrible name. (laughs) then the mysterious second-class passenger redheaded man Salter who is obviously like a, a hunk like yeah 10 out of 10 hunk yes so those are the people that you kind of there's like a vicar's wife and there's some other people but yeah they're not important who cares so there is a sort of informal prologue in this book. It isn't the bit where um FHB is kind of talking about the shuttle weaving forwards and backwards and all the threads tying everything together, which I loved. Lauren, did you love that? I was really into that, actually.
1: I thought I'm, it's a good setup to what we're about to,
0: yeah, about I really to digest. Liked it. Yeah. It's similar similarly to um Gaskell's like machinery imagery in North mm. and South. I was like, yes, weave it. Very good call. Like, great. Love it. So yeah. um, that section is about a man called Sir Nigel who comes to America with the intention of taking a wife with money, and huge efforts are made on his part in this part of the novel. That just to share, like how common that was. Uh, mm-hmm. young American brides were being shipped off to their abusive, cold European husbands, and the Americans kind of didn't realize the, what they were getting from this exchange. Right, so they were like, right. "Oh, these people have." money and great homes and it's going to be like really quaint and beautiful but they didn't realize that really it was just the money that that people wanted and the attitudes to how women were treated in Europe was very different to how women were treated in America from the Mm -hmm. the books (laughs) makes out which by the way who knew I did not know this book has been so eye-opening about like that image and so many things that I've read since or seen since makes so much more sense to me now um, so so, Nigel goes over. He thinks everything is going to be like really business like, and that you can just be like, "Hey, how much money does this woman have? Can I have it, please? I want money." <laughs> right. But then um, he overhears this story, which is cut from the Persephone version. Which, oh, it is. Yeah, this is like. So I will. I'll go into it more, but like this is where we get the hit. is just from all points of view. So Bettina shares a lot of them. But um, yeah, so Nigel, mm-hmm. over. here's people talking about how this, I think he's German, this German yeah. aristocrat goes over, marries someone, and then eventually is so horrible to the whole family, like doesn't want to work for anything, um, that they send him off and get a divorce. Mm-hmm. So then he's like, oh, so I have to like pretend I love her, right? Right. So then he decides he's going to marry Rosalie Vanderpool. He like briefly courts her, whisks her off to England. No no one really knows, apart from her sister Bettina, who's like, I don't trust this guy. She yeah, just right off looks at him and is like, Nope. Very early on in that honeymoon, Rosalie is like, Oh, my husband's really mean. I thought he'd be nice to me for at least six months. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> heartbreaking. And also, yeah, good point. Yeah, great point. She's like, he's not even pretending to be nice to me. He's very so <laughs> mean. Um, And then slowly but surely, we begin to see from both of their points of views, uh, the misery that he inflicts on her in order to get what he wants, which is her money and not just access to her money, but he wants her money in his name. He wants complete control of it. He begins to lie to Rosalie and also to her family. He tells each of them that the other doesn't want to see them. He creates distance so that she feels completely isolated and alone in the UK, Um, Mm -hmm. beats her, he tells her that she's crazy and stupid and vulgar and like distasteful and Americans don't do well here. He like completely, completely breaks her and his mother is yeah. really so awful and she calls her mad and she's like, you know, restrain yourself, like sort yourself out. And that's kind of where we leave Rosalie is just like in this awful situation and her family are just like, yeah. oh, she's going to be so happy. And then she just she isn't. Right. Oh, I should say as well that um, she confronts him when she she finds out that he's been lying to her about um, her family being in town, and then that's when he uh, beats her for the first time. So she like we do have this moment of her kind of going against him on a number of occasions and kind of like reacting to the situation. But it's when she reacts that she's punished the most. So over time, Hi. I imagine you'd stop reacting to things. Oh, Rosalie. She's so
1: wide-eyed and innocent and sweet and they do take care to kind of set up in that prologue that she's not it's not that she's not like the sharpest tool in the shed. She's just very like, you know, she's very um, petted. She's very sheltered. Like she doesn't, it's almost like she doesn't even know that bad men
0: exist in the world, right? She knows and that's one of the sad things as well is like, she knows. She's like, yeah I'm not smart. I just because I'm not smart, I just thought I had to be nice. I've, I've been nice yeah. and on being nice and pleasant and just trying not to be horrible to anyone. And this, this is how she's repaid for that.
1: Yeah, and she's just like really lives by the golden rule too. Like I, I, if I'm nice and pleasant, people are gonna be nice and pleasant back to me, right? Like that's just how it works. And um, what's interesting, Anne Thwait, in her bio of Francis does say this quite a bit actually in the beginning section that Francis was very like trusting and wide-eyed and very sweet. Um, okay. which I, I find interesting but also I think Frances was a bit bit sharper especially if she's writing this material
0: oh definitely yeah that like I feel like reading that I'm like mm. like reading the <laughs> and hearing that those two don't
1: yeah this is someone who's really like like this
0: is a book written by Bettina not Rosalie
1: um but I, I have to say when Rosalie goes over um, to Stornham Court, it's Stornham, right? Yeah. I keep wanting to call it Stormham. <laughs> it isn't. It's another M. It's not. It's wrong. Anyway, when she goes over, um, so interesting. One of the first things she starts doing is um, giving money to people because she becomes friends immediately with the vicar's wife, the only one who seems like willing to befriend her.
0: Oh, she is not and friends I, with the vicar's wife, Lauren. She's not friends. Well, from Rosalie's perspective. The vicar's wife is like using Rosalie's liberal money yes, to make herself appear um, better off in the parish. And I wouldn't be surprised if she's skimming a little bit of that money herself. I'm sure. Rosalie, however, is just like, this is a vicar's wife. Like, I can trust her. Mm.
1: And um, so, yeah, how she starts giving away her money. And then the, I believe he's a, I can't remember, he's a farmer whose cottage burns down and he's got all these kids and she's like, oh, you need help. Here's a hundred pounds. Like just immediately, like, you know, if I were in this much trouble, someone would help me, surely.
0: Oh, that's a good one. So I'm going to help you. When I, when I read that bit, I did, um, I was wondering because that happens in, at least in the TV show, I don't know if that happens in the book, but Anne with an E, right? Anne of Green Gables, there's a storyline where a family's house burned down. Uh, And everyone in the neighborhood kind of comes to help them out and they all come together and it Mm happens. this. Now I was wondering if that's like, would you say that's like a classic American plot? That feels very American to me. Yes, I feel
1: like it is very American. Um, Actually, what would be almost more American is if everyone sort of came together in some way to contribute. Yeah, I feel like in that spirit of like Christian community charity. Yeah. But yes, I do feel like it is very American. I mean, obviously it's very American because everyone then is like, whoa, this is not how things are done. And then obviously Nigel is furious. Yes. Yeah.
0: So that's the prologue. <laughs> yeah, it's the prologue. prologue. It's a great prologue. It is a great prologue. Loads happens. Um so then more than a decade passes, and then we're reintroduced to Bettina or Betsy Vanderpool. Um, who we find out has been educated all across Europe. She's got a good sense, not only of um, Europe, America, and like the ignorance about both that the different people live under. So like Europeans ignorance about America and vice versa. But she also, just from hearing like different people's accounts, accounts from her mother, accounts from people at school. Again, this is where the Persephone edition kind of lets you down because you don't get these accounts. um, Just the fate of the many American women who are taken from their families to Europe just to live in these like horrible conditions. And also just how yeah. many of them are like kind of rescued by their families, like their families into intervene. And something that Sir Nigel mm-hmm. makes a point of saying in the first part of the book is just like, oh, it's really important to cut off the family. Like just straight up, Yeah. Off, just do that. And I think that's something that Betty is just hearing again and again and again, like, oh, the families are involved. The families are involved. The families are involved. So- yeah. She then starts to think um, that perhaps Rosalie isn't distant by choice and that the reason that they haven't seen her in like a decade isn't from her actions and that perhaps Sir Nigel has more to do with it than people think. So she tells her parents, well, she tells her father, I'm going to go to England. I'm going to go and see for myself what the situation is. Is Is she happy? Is she not happy? And her dad is just like, yeah, fine. Off you go. See ya because you know she's yeah she's traveling with the Worthingtons who are family friends they're going anyway so she'll be with them um she's got friends in Europe she went to school there so in terms of like her going off like she can go and do it like yeah
1: well I think just to reiterate like too what you just said it's very important to remember that um you know Rosalie's parents are in New York they send off their daughter to England they don't you know slowly communication starts like drifting drifting and drifting and they don't hear from her and they do take it personally and her mother does think it like it's something that she has done or like
0: hear from her but it's like really distant
1: yeah they they take it personally it's important to note that betty is the one that's going to school in europe and hearing about all these different women and so that it slowly dawns on her because i think there's a lot of talk in the facebook group of like why didn't the father do something yeah he's
0: he's not getting the same perspective that betty is and like the dad um there's a part where the dad is like we weren't as we're not as innocent now as we were then like yeah awakening to the the truth of what has happened to these women yeah um, and he does admit at some point, I think in that same scene, like, I am next an Amer- a textbook, like American businessman, and I've been too involved in my work. Yeah. Like, I just haven't, I haven't considered it. So he's like, yeah. off you go, Betty. This is great. You go. Um. So Betty travels by steamer. There was a point where I thought that maybe she was on the Titanic because there is a boat. <laughs> and honestly, I was like, I- is it the Titanic? Is it the Titanic? No it isn't no it it isn't and it wasn't a big accident it was just a little accident and everyone's fine but she meets while she's on the boat she meets this like sexy man called Salter (laughs) who's really fit and when she runs upstairs during the accident he's like oh by the way I'm really frightened and I was like oh are you I'll hold you (laughs) like any man who's like I'm really scared i also, but we need to stay calm. Oh, he's just the dream. I think this guy could be rivaling John Thornton. I'm going to say it. I don't know. Oh, already. I'm so already early in the game. Yeah, that boat scene. Remembering the- I was
1: already in, in the boat scene. Well, I like when he's observing her yeah. too. Yeah. Like um, when she first arrives on the boat and he's just kind of like checking her out. And then he's watching her, you know, wave farewell to a friend. And Who's his opinion thing? of her is like slowly forming. Anyway, I I, I I'm, I'm there with you on the second class passenger.
0: Ooh, anyway <laughs> yeah I really fancy him and he's a fictional man um so <laughs> um she travels to Stornham when she arrives in the UK which is Rosalie's new home obviously I'm skipping over so much stuff but you read it um uh, she finds the house in ro- uh, in ruins Rosalie is completely old before her time she is the mother of a hunchback child which we all know FHB obsessed with he's also old before his time uh, yeah. Turns out that the two daughters they'd heard about um, have sadly died. And Ro- Rosalie is just like a mess. She's wearing like old clothes that don't fit her. She looks like an old woman. She barely remembers Betty. She has to be assured that America is still there. She can't understand why her family abandoned her. Uh, and then Utrid takes Betty aside one night. I think it's the first night. And it's basically like, this is the situation. He's been beating her. Yeah. He's been beating me she is like you have to take her you have to take it very slow with her and so betsy kind of comes to the realization if if she is going to save her sister it has to be slowly like it has really really slow um and that's kind of like that's basically where we're at it's just like betsy yeah like coming to what she's gonna do and um, right in the unabridged version she writes to her father and explains the situation in the abridged version she doesn't oh yeah so i know everyone's really sick of hearing my voice but i'm gonna quickly that's a good good segue and because we're reading two different versions an unabridged regular version which is 50 chapters and the persephone abridged version which is 25 chapters we thought it would be uh, useful for those of you that are reading one or the other to just hear what the other one's missing or has Mm mm-hmm so Lauren, um, what happened? <laughs> well yeah, full disclosure, we had no idea
1: that this was a thing because um Persephone doesn't really do this. Um it looks like they've actually only done this with uh two titles, like in their entire catalog. And um we so we had no idea until Abby actually pointed it out in the Facebook group. Um the reason why this is abridged is because um, they needed to keep the cost down. So it looks like Persephone has um, a cost of uh, three pounds per book. So that's what they've uh, come up with on their end. That's the, you know, to help them make the max profit. Um, if they were actually to publish the full edition with the intro, which we'll talk about the intro because. Persephone always puts, like, fabulous intros in their books. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that later. Different episode. But um, if they were to do that, they were going to go over the costing. So they went ahead and they cut some pages. And at first we thought this might be – kind of easy to just work out via chapters but then they combine some chapters as well so that makes it wildly difficult
0: and also um some of the text from the end of chapters is removed so you're like what's the last line of chapter six right like it's not the same so um the way that we're getting around this is that I am listening to the book and also reading the book and uh, making notations of what's missing so this week I've listened and read chapters 1 to 13 three times I'm very deeply acquainted with this book already um I would say the main plot is um obviously the same the main things that we do um lose like I said are the multiple accounts of abusive relationships and just kind of setting up that as being something that's kind of common practice that people know about and people are discussing uh, hmm. There is one account. I thought this one was really interesting that they decided to cut it because there's one account of a girl who does go to Europe and does decide that she doesn't like her family anymore because they're coarse and because they're vulgar. So yeah. I can kind of get like get the ones where it's like, oh, and this guy was really horrible, so they got a divorce, and this guy was really horrible, so they got a divorce. But I think it makes the Vanderpool parents like a little bit more sympathetic if you have the a story in there where it's like, oh, but also people that exist within their world are like, my daughter hates me now. So if they're hearing that, then they yeah. are going to think that's what's happened with Rosalie, right? Right, right. Um, yeah. The thing that gets cut a lot are internal monologues. So okay, we have these like great long character descriptions where, like, maybe it's Salter describing how he's seeing like Betty for the first time, or like Betty talking about. Um, her memories of rosalie and like how different they are as children things like that so those are gone okay and um we also lose a section of betty kind of talking about how she wants to go to the tower of london and oh no i love that section this yeah. yeah. <laughs> is worthington's like oh like a scullery maid or something it's like it's a bit like per se that she's going and no one can understand it and then um, she's like yeah i want to go see like jane gray <laughs> well that is a
1: fantastic section i actually was going to talk about that section because it's one of my favorite bits of the book because um basically what's going on there is that betty is going to, she's in england for the first time she's very traveled she like went to school in france and germany but she hasn't really gone to england and when she's um over there and she's like you know she's on the train and she's just thinking about Jane Austen and the Brontes and George Eliot and she's talking about like all of these literary things becoming real and how Lady Jane that. Grey <laughs> yeah it was so bit it was so good like how Lady Jane Grey is not quite real she's a fairy tale but then you go to the tower and suddenly it's real and suddenly it becomes very tragic and she's thinking about this young woman sort of taken against her will just like her sister
0: I think you should like um go and Google Jane Grey because she is so fascinating. She's really interesting. Yeah, Briefly, the Queen of England and then she was um, executed for treason for presuming that she was the Queen and she signed loads of stuff as Queen Jane. Really interesting stuff and she was held at the Tower of London. Yeah.
1: I loved her story when I went to the Tower. It's great. But it it's such a great part of the book. Oh, it's so sad because, yeah, it's just lending again to that feeling of like everyone thinks that they're marrying these men with titles and the, you know, it's a fairy tale. It's Americans buying into this fairy tale and then actually being over there. Like, it's a great bit of foreshadowing too, of like, oh, you know, there's a cold hard truth to this.
0: I would say that um, having read both of them, that the Persephone version, it does feel a lot more plot focused and it does feel- Sure. I think some of the chapter endings are actually better in the Persephone version. I think that from my point of view, FHB, Francis Hodgson Burnett FHB, uh, tends to go on like tiny little tangents and like these side stories. And there is a lot Mm -hmm. of vision, and a lot of people thinking about what they're going to do like before they've done it. So like Betty being like, oh, I have to do it this way. Like this is my plan now. Um, And in the Persephone book, it's like, we're just going to we're just going to let it happen. Rather than we're not yeah. characters telling you what's going to happen, we'll just have it unfold how it unfolds, and we lose uh, we lose some of the secondary characters. So your vicar's wife doesn't make it into the Persephone version. Um, oh, to the same extent as she does in the unabridged version. Uh, and I'll do I'll do this again next week as well, just so you all know what
1: the differences are. Well, it's interesting to see what gets cut, and then also um, FHB was famous for this. Like so. When she initially, I mean, spoiler alert, when she initially starts sending in, you know, uh, short stories to various publications, um, people like got back to her right away. And they're like, these are great. This is long, like edit. Yeah. yeah. And so that has been her note, like from the beginning is edit. And I think in her children's stories, she edits. But here we have an adult novel where she's just like, yeah, she's just given full, you know the go ahead just go for it so
0: yeah that makes sense uh, like some stuff I'm like oh I wish that was in there but then other stuff I'm like I get it she's rich like we right Salter overhearing um two stewards on the ship discussing how vastly wealthy Betty is and then we have Salter looking at her and being like oh she obviously is well traveled we know she is she obviously has money we know she is like all of this stuff is just like we like we get it we get it no more times for the people at the back they heard you I don't know if it's because I did like my um my master's of research uh in transnational writing but like all of the discussion um just like America's view of Britain and Britain's view of America and like how Europe thinks of the world and how like young European women don't talk about New York because why would they? It might as well be like Zanzibar, like who goes, who goes there? And, um, Mm -hmm. and that, oh, that moment where Betty like realizes that her worldview is local. It's New York, it's fifth Avenue, it's brownstone buildings. And that girls from Paris and girls from London or wherever they've come from are the same about their home. I think, right. I think that is a moment that everyone should have in their lives. Just that moment of being like, Oh, perspective is everything. Mm-hmm. And not everyone has that, right? I think if I think if a, if a lot of people had that view, then I'm oh, sure like Brexit wouldn't happen, right? <laughs> you know, and I can remember mine. Mine was in a T-Mobile store in Chicago, and I cried, <laughs> and it was awful. <laughs> what, what happened? Uh, I was like I was like super ratty because people were like texting and calling me, but I wasn't getting it. And like this guy had a crush and wanted to take me to a baseball game, <laughs> and um. And I didn't get the message. And I went into this T-Mobile store, and they were like, "Oh, you don't have any money on your phone." And I was like, "Yeah, but in England, you don't have to have money on your phone to receive a call." Oh. So I was with T-Mobile in England. It's the same company, but it worked right way in America. And so I just granted right. that this thing would work the way I wanted it to work. And I was. Like, I feel like I had. This is reminding me then of a moment that I had in Chelsea.
1: And I was just, like, very young, and it was maybe my first, maybe second time in England. Mm -hmm. And um, I went out with some friends, and they were all American. So I had a a friend who was living in London, and, like, I went over there, and I was really excited to, like, meet his friends, and they were all American. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, oh, (laughs) where are your British friends? (laughs) And they were all kind of complaining about British people. They're like, oh, it's so hard to, like, make British friends. Like, none of them, like... Like, they don't invite you out the same way that Americans would. Yeah. Um. And they're like, it's so hard to get into, like, a British person's home, like, to hang out. And I was like, oh, okay. So that was a big thing. But then we all went out to a restaurant, and um, we were a little bit, like, drunk, I have to say. Oh, like, we, we had love. also gone to. <laughs> we laughed.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe. I know. And. Loud America.
1: We had just been at the Bluebird, which is uh, on Maiden in Chelsea quite a bit. Oh. And um, we go to this restaurant and we're like, walk in and it's a nice restaurant, too. Mm. And we're like, so, yeah, we're here. <laughs> like, we're here. We've arrived. Thank you very much. How long for a table? And I remember the hostess being like, how long does it take for people to eat? And we were just like, What? Like, when are you going to seat us? (laughs) She's like, I don't know. When a table clears up. (laughs) And we were just like, whoa, you did not hear that in the United States. It's like, hey, welcome. Thank you for coming. Let me see, you know, how long it will be for a table. Oh, it will be 10 to 15 minutes. Or, oh, I can seat you right away. or You know, like, that's what we're used to. And so we were just all like, we're like, what? (laughs) There's a lot of transnational moments in this book. I wonder if we should just do a separate episode on them because I have lots of questions.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we could maybe at the end.
1: Yeah, we have time at the end um, to like sort of cover more things in depth. But I just I have one question for you. And I'm going to hold the other question until that episode. Okay. But there is this beginning um, in the beginning part. Sort of like the prologue. Mm hmm. We talk a lot about, like, Rosalie's clothes. There's a lot of talk of, like, clothes and houses and... Gifts. Gifts, yeah. And so um, here here's a quote. So this is about Rosalie. Um, and I believe at this point she is sort of in England. And remember, she's, like, changing her clothes every few hours. Like, she's got this giant wardrobe. Yeah. Um, As a result, she was stared at either with open disfavor or with well-bred furtive criticism and was described afterwards as being either very American or very overdressed. When she lived in huge rooms in fifth Avenue, Rosalie had changed her attire as many times a day as she had changed her fancy. Every hour had been filled with engagements and amusements. So um, yeah, Rosalie's got all these clothes. She's trying to like dress up and look great for her husband because she She's trying to impress everyone for him. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, very American. This is like a very a thing that like kind of hit me where I was like, "Is this an attitude that's like still held?" And then also, is this NAF? I'm always trying to figure out what NAF means. This
0: is NAF. Read okay. the next bit. One day I'll tell you what NAF is. <laughs> okay. Um. So
1: the next quote that I actually put down here, and this was, um. Again, kind of going back to uh, Betty's schoolmates and like talking about the United States. Um, She said, do you think it will one day become the fashion to travel to America? Perhaps, said Betty, but it isn't so much that you will go to America. I believe it will come to you. It's like that, America. It doesn't stand still. It goes and gets what it wants. Wow. FHB, a
0: prophet. A prophet. Yeah. True story. Yeah, I like, I've just, this book is so interesting. Like, it is so, so interesting. Yeah. Um, and just really, like, just where America is now and where it is when this book is being written or, like, when this book is based. Um, mm-hmm. Hmm, NAF. No, I do think that there are underlying ideas about American money, right? And mm-hmm. so all of these things about how, these wealthy American heiresses are going over and anglicizing. The yeah. um, I don't know if you guys like, you know, like, we're talking class here, right? And so the higher up in the classes you get, you don't talk about money. And that's like a really big thing is like you don't talk about money and you always hear like, it's like a thing that people say about British people. Like, we're really cold and you don't talk about money. Mm-hmm. Like stiff upper lippy. Whereas Americans are like, Built, built themselves up so they're gonna like flash their cash a bit more and so the culture is to like be a bit f- like flash now in the yeah. UK if you're flash that's a sign of um not having class right right it's a bit tacky and so yeah then there's this like perception of like wealthy America being tacky being a bit flash having like just having all of this tat. And like, honestly, I used to I used to watch Cribs as a child and I would look at these houses and I'd be like, what the fuck is up with your house? (laughs) Why is there a ceramic chicken in your in your kitchen? It's almost like there's just so much stuff like it's just such an obvious display of of wealth. Right. And that that's the definition of naff is like something that's like it's obvious. It's like predictable. It's like really like, you know, naff like naff and lame but without being ableist okay all right yeah but i think like that's like a a lingering perception and the lingering perception about british people is that we're cold and frigid and horrible and that we'll throw (laughs) our wives down the stairs so these things (laughs) these things stick don't they just (laughs) I'm so glad I'm reading this book with an American as well. Like, imagine doing yeah. this show with, like, another Brit or, like, another American.
1: <laughs> like, I'm like, well, it
0: was... people are awful. Fuck Europe.
1: Like, I could understand it, like, her flashing her cash about and how it seems new money and, you know, and all that. But I was like,
0: oh, but she really did
1: have it to back it up. But, yeah, like, still, it's just, like,
0: it's not done well, there. there. But also, there's this, um, it's... <sighs> There's this amazing bit with my new boyfriend, Salter. um, And when he's looking at Betty, he actually, he stops himself, right? And he looks at her and he goes, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not, it's vulgar. What I'm doing is vulgar because I don't have enough money to be stood here thinking about money, to be thinking about millions. That's not my situation. I'm going to take myself away. It's vulgar to just sit here thinking about something that I don't have. Well, so Nigel, who is the anti-Salter, right, is like, obsessed with it it's all he can think about it's all consuming he is like motivated right. only by greed for money and he's in debt and you know it's salt it like it talks about how he's been off like through hardship and how um like he's returning and things haven't quite worked out for him but he still can't like he doesn't want to dwell on this thing but you know right so yeah
1: yeah it's just it's interesting the clothes like I think uh, the details are right. Like talking about the clothes, talking about Salter as the second class passenger, like talking about like the labels that we're attaching to people. Mm -hmm. Like from the, the, from the get go, from the get go, I think are all really like sort of lending to character and just like really setting the scene really well. Um, Because then obviously it's such a contrast when you come back after 12 years and you see the way that Rosalie has been kept and just how like, you know, from this American perspective, like, Rosalie's like, yeah, in the beginning, like, I'm dressing well because I this shows that you are taking care of me or I am a status symbol for you. And um, then, of course, when Betty immediately sees Rosie 12 years later, she's like, OK, I know that obviously like, I've been I've been right. Like he has been abusing her, like just based on like the sweater she's wearing. Like, I know. So now very important question. It's always the question I want to ask.
0: Who would you cast? Oh, you know, I don't know anyone. So you I know can, it's like, true. Tell me who you're casting Matthew Good as, and then
1: we can <laughs> <laughs> I know I picked Matthew Good and James Norton way too much. I am so sorry. Um, for Matthew Good, I have to say I've just been watching "Ordeal by Innocence," and he is so good at playing nasty. He just—it's like really compelling to watch.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so you know, he would be great as Sir Nigel, obviously.
0: Yeah, I can um, Matthew
1: Good Sir Nigel, Jude Law, of course. No. we always we always stand for Jude Law. He's great at playing. He's nasty. not coming at
0: yet. I don't know.
1: I here's my thing about casting Sir Nigel. I don't think he's like an obvious villain, and I will get into this later too. But I do think he's got to be a little handsome, a little charming, but cold. And then, um, because there's got to be something that they all fell for, right? We don't talk about that enough in the book, but there's gotta be something that hooked these people with him that made Rosalie and the family sort of buy into the fairy tale. But um
0: Well I think but I you know. think part of the point is that they weren't thinking about it too much. Like really. Like one, but of the Rosalie had points. to fall in love with him. That's the, she, like she had to have had like a multiple suitors. suitors. She didn't have to fall in love with him. She had to fall in love with his title, the bishop's palace. Sure,
1: sure. I mean, a package. She had to like want a package because I'm just saying like Rosalie had to have had a million suitors. There had to be a million
0: New York men who wanted to buy oh, into that family. Absolutely, and like I do think he had to. I do think he had to be charming. Like definitely, yeah. But, there like, has to be something about him that she was interested. I think in. He just had to hold his shit together enough but the thing about Sir Nigel as well is um, the book makes like such a big point of saying that he's not an attractive man so let's maybe not (laughs) cast someone let's cast my old friend Benedict Cumberbatch who I think is as ugly as a dog's bottom let's cast him I actually think Benedict Cumberbatch would be a great choice yeah you have to bite it there you go there he's cast no more discussion next
1: okay we'll do that
0: (laughs) so um
1: favorite quotes Good, good pros in this book. What um, did you like?
0: I don't. I think mine might be stupid. Um, no, so, go for it. Um, Women have found out so much. Perhaps it is because the heroines of novels have informed them. That was a big hit in the comments as well. Yeah, I oh, was it. Good I really cro- thought I'd come. Yeah. Out. I was like, I found this one on my own. Damn, <laughs> that's a good one. It rung true for a lot of people. Um. This one isn't like a, gr- well, it's a great quote. Uh, I am such a bad letter writer. I always feel as if I want to tear up what I have written because I never say half of what is in my heart. And as someone who has survived some domestic abuse, very similar to what Rosalie's going through, um, yeah, that internalised victim blaming rang very true to me. Yeah. Like, very true. Um, And again, for people like, I think reading it, it's like, how has this happened though when like you could just write a letter or you could just like, I think someone said you could just slip a note to someone like she's trying, but she's blaming herself. Like this is her, like she's been made to believe that this is all her fault. This is all her doing because she's too stupid. She's not good enough. And like, even when she's writing to her family, the things that she wants to say, the half of the stuff that's in her heart is the stuff that she can't say because she's a victim of abuse. So I thought that was a really important line just about the letter writing.
1: It's a great combination of sort of like victim abuse and then later on she, I think she feels like she's protecting her family or protecting her father's, you know. Yeah. Uh,
0: Another bit I liked about my boyfriend was um, there are human beings into whose consciousness of themselves the possibility of being beaten does not enter. This man was one of them. And that's like one of the first things you get about Sultan. I'm just like, Damn. Like, I so I was um, listening to the audiobook, like at work, and I just turned around to Tom and I was like, he has come. And he was like, what? that? Yeah, like, here he is. My love interest is here. <laughs> read a few lines of him, and I was like, Right, I'm done. I'm ready. I'm in. <laughs> I'm sold. <laughs> um, and then there's also another line where she, <laughs> uh, FHB, describes him as being well hung together. <laughs> the, the full line is well hung together, but I just read it and I was like, Ah, is he? <laughs> She was. uh, She knew what she was doing. Those, those are like. I mean, this whole book is quotes, though. Like my, my copy. Yeah, yeah. So these are just three that I was thinking about today that I really liked. And yeah, tell me what quotes you thought were better about. Well, I mean,
1: (laughs) about Salter. I know we should just have a whole episode about Salter. Um, I really was struck by the descriptions of Betty. Um, especially when it felt like. It was leading up to, you, like, you knew she was going to go rescue her sister from the get-go, right? Yep. It's like, she's listening, she's preparing. <laughs> it just almost felt very, like, Kill Bill to me at one point. Like, the theme song started, like, playing in my head. Because I was like, oh, she is plotting revenge right now.
0: I think and, that's um, fine, but I think, like, I maybe don't love her because she's too great. She is too great, but I think she's going to mess up. I hope I I really hope I think
1: people. I think something's going to happen. i was like, okay, I get it, man. You're you're so good. I mean, I know FHB like will linger on like certain storylines and descriptions, but she does like like shit happens. Like we're on that shuttle and it gets hit by another boat. You're like, "Whoa, I mean, like stuff is happening." Like yeah. to keep me from putting this book down cuz I remember I was like about to just
0: finish up. How is um, this, like a three part like TV or like HBO or just something like Netflix original period drama like this has so <laughs> there is so much happening so much is happening and I just like know that more like I'm just like
1: more shits on the way um, but I did love this quote about Betty and uh, so it goes she had genius but it was not specialized it was not genius was which, which expressed itself through any one art it was a genius for life for living itself, for aiding others to live, for vivifying mere existence, she herself was, however, aware of only an eagerness of temperament, a passion for seeing, doing, and gaining knowledge. I'm just like, oh, Betty's coming
0: to like fuck some shit up. I was very excited by that quote, but she does. She remind she does remind me of Rose, you know.
1: From eight cousins,
0: yeah, like a better written Rose. Like if Rose had been like in an adult story, just like
1: this. She's first, very like, sweet, but I do think there's an underlying bite to her.
0: Oh yeah, definitely no. But I just I meant more in like the Rose's whole thing is like at the end of the book, she's like, oh, I've realized that my purpose in life is to make everyone else's life better, right? Mm. Yeah, I yeah. And like Betty's like the cool version of that. Like Betty's like the she is like the cool version brand of that. version of. Because we didn't react well to Rose, but Betty is like, oh, we can get behind her. Because she's like on a bike and she's smoking a cigarette. Yeah, she's on a mission too, to save her sister. Uh, So we're going to do a shout out to Eleanor uh, and your massive Pinterest board for the shuttle. So Eleanor told us and then shared the link. Um, I will write some comments as soon as I've met a looming deadline. But in the meantime, I will share a small Pinterest board I created to help me get a visual sense of the, the fashions and aesthetic of the novel setting. I'm spoiled by so many in TV and movie adaptations of novels. And now I feel at sea without some visual context.
1: And it's great. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um, there's also a link to a Smithsonian magazine article on that Pinterest board that is about dollar princesses and Smithsonian Magazine always, always writes the killer articles.
0: Winston Churchill is the son of um, of an American heiress and an English aristocrat. He is. Winston Churchill was a prime minister of
1: England. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I've never seen a movie based off of his life.
0: Oh, come on, there's going to, like, if you didn't know, (laughs) if you didn't know who he was, so help me comment, just leave a comment. Because I have to hear about all kinds of like Paul Revere. Lauren, every week, Lauren's like, can we get Paul Revere into these notes? And I'm like, no, yeah, Lauren, that's not relevant for English listeners. Um, and then so i just did it one time and now look, now you're mocking me. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Oldman, terrible. Moving on. Terrible. Terrible. <laughs> um, moving on. So
1: a lot of comments about the opening and sort of yes. the shuttle metaphor. So it. Yeah, um, Leanne said, love the book. I agree that the very beginning is kind of slow, but once you get past that, the story really sucks you right in. So she's like, I just got to
0: get past this part. Leanne, you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) We're usually friends, but this week, no. Uh, Ruth, you said, I was quite intrigued by chapters one and five using the visual of the shuttle and and weaving of fate and threads to write about the relations between NYC, a.k.a. America, and England, how they continue to grow closer and closer due to the various marriages and the motivations behind them, as well as the ability to move faster and communicate quicker over 12 years. I was also surprised by the time jump. That's a long time to leave poor Rosalie.
1: Indeed. Um, Joy, I do kind of skim over the parts about weaving ties back and forth between Europe and the United States. They are definitely the least interesting part of the book, even though that's what it takes its title from um joy maybe you should get the persephone copy
0: <laughs> no th- if there's one thing the persephone copy is left in it's all of the stuff about the weaver. oh it did <laughs> it's all in there it's all in oh, there no. in all its glory what do we oh no i was it's great i um, think it's great i think it's great and then alicia i remember the first time i read the shuttle thinking that the first couple of chapters were very slow with lots of exposition about the links between the u.s and england i wasn't sure whether the book was going to be that interesting but then it really picked up so it's not for everyone I was sold I loved it I love you have a master's in
1: transnational
0: oh yeah I was like this is for me (laughs)
1: yeah definitely
0: this is for me I just I have appreciated the start of this book so much like so much I'm so happy with it I love it um Betty also gets a
1: lot of love so Kimberly coming in Uh, Right away with a quote about Betty from chapter six. There are a good many girls who can be trusted to do things in these days. Yeah. Women have found out so much. Perhaps it is because the heroines of novels have informed them. Heroines and heroes always bring in the new fashions and character. So there you go.
0: There's your quote.
1: Betty's a reader. That's why we like Betty,
0: right? Yeah, and a reader of novels as well. Mm-hmm. Reader of novels. Novels. Um, and she's going for it. Alicia said, I like this quality of Betty. Her mentality, was, oh, her mentality was of the order, which is capable of making discoveries concerning itself as well as concerning others. So this is what I was talking about, about that like local mind that she, when she's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm from like New York and I think about New York. Yeah. Um, Alicia says, not only can she see the ignorance of narrow-mindedness of her schoolmates, but when someone makes a remark back to her, she's capable of evaluating herself and realizing that she's got some of the same flaws. She's got a great ability to internalize other people's comments and experiences and deliberately adjust herself to be better. And like indeed, that is that that is like Betty's redeeming thing, right? So mm-hmm like she's so perfect and she's so beautiful and she's got all of these opportunities and it's a bit like Mary Sue like oh is it a bit over the top but then like that isn't a trait you come a lot uh, that you come across a lot and it's like such a valuable thing like to be able to yeah about yourself through other people yeah I
1: like it I'm on board I mean I think what we're gonna see her flaws soon we're still in the early days of Betty remember
0: that I don't I just I don't know like at this point I'm like does she have any this book's going to finish next chapter chapter 14 she's taking her own so again with the trigger
1: warning now we're going to talk about Nigel and we're going to talk about the abuse a little bit in the comments um Alicia kicked us off with the thing I'm having a hard time imagining this time through reading the shuttle it's her second time around um is what kind of suitor Sir Nigel would have been Since we are not given a single moment of him being kind or charming on the page, it's really hard to imagine that he could have been so successfully, or he could have so successfully bamboozled an entire American family. I really much doubt his ability to be that kind of actor. How could he have done it? Which I thought, great point right off the bat, right? I was thinking the same thing too. I really wish we did have a scene of him acting or you know Rosalie's perspective on like really who he was because I feel like that's really missing
0: although I don't know I, I'm not interested in it you're not interested no, in the courtship like, the courtship happened right like it doesn't matter mm-hmm. like the behavior afterwards so like how he said like whatever he said how he said it what lies he told like it's it's done like I don't and if I so if I were to like adapt this I would mm-hmm. you know, again I'd have like one shot of them being like cute and then getting hit yeah it's like a whirlwind right it's like it's it's happened fast um also rachel like brought up the great point that we
1: only see this like we only see him from his thoughts yeah too and so not as he appeared to anyone else so you know that's a really great point i think
0: yeah i thought that was that was a really good point um so about the uh, you specifically about says I'm so sad that none of her family visited Rosie in the last 12 years just popped down from London on a visit Mr and Mrs Vanderpool you sent your youngest daughter to school in Europe for fuck's sake um, well FFS but that's what it means uh, yeah the part, the part that made me saddest was Rosie saying, I thought you'd all forgotten me. It can be lonely when you were separated from family in other countries, but I feel like it might suit the character of a multimillionaire to be a bit shit at relationships, too busy doing business and thinking anyone can be just as strong and independent as himself. Um Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the thing to to remember with that is just like again, it's just the letter thing. So um some again, something that got cut out for the Persephone uh, edition is that Sir Nigel is reading letters that are arriving for Rosalie and he's reading her letters going out and then he's resealing them and protecting he's not doing it. So we're talking about two groups of her family and her, like every every time they've said, we're gonna come and visit you, oh, we're here, we're like in the UK, like we wanna come and see you, we wanna come and see you, we wanna come and see you. It's just getting rebuffed every single time. And then her letters, she's not getting the ones that say that. Like,
1: and also, is it in the Persephone edition um, where he actually does meet them in London at yep, one point? And he's call. like, Mom he's like, hey, the- she's at a country like house. She's up in, I think, he, does he say she's up in Scotland? He's like, yeah, she's, she's not at here. house she's,
0: in Scotland. Yeah. Like, the dad does go to London to try and find her. Also, mm-hmm. Nigel, he, it's, it's his home, right? It's his money, and so with like this rank of people or whatever, there is like some kind of like they were probably expecting him to be like, come and stay. Yeah. Like, yeah. They're waiting for, for it. Right? Yeah, for sure. And he's not. And like they the the point is made that like um he never asks them any questions. His letters are very cold. Like he's also kind of turning them turning them off. And then we've got that story um at the beginning just about how um there was that other girl who like did start to dislike her family. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's kind of easy to be like, oh, that's, like, really weird. But you're right about, um, yeah, about the dad being, like, he's, like, too involved in his business and he starts to think yeah. about it. But I think he just takes for granted that perhaps she might not be happy.
1: Yeah. Is that... Cap- yeah. And also,
0: like, not wanting to deal with
1: it. I think, you know, looking at it from modern eyes, it's, like, it's very... It might seem very easy, but also... um if there was abuse like think about like oh so rosalie does say um like think of the scandal like if i were yeah. to get divorced uh there is a level of celebrity that we haven't really talked about a lot here
0: like yeah. they are celebrities basically. yeah it brings the whole family in and then yeah and yeah i wrote in the notes as well i guess it's just like we do still live in a society in which we expect women to um who are like living in abuse and who have survived abusive relationships to actively seek help before we intervene. Like we still expect that. So I'm not entirely sure what we're expecting from a woman in um, 18, whatever, 1850. So it's like, it is a difficult one. I
1: think um, Kimberly sort of like, just hit the nail on the head when she said evil, manipulative husbands and boyfriends gaslighting women since evolution. I may have bit holes into my cheeks from clenching my jaw. Are they all born with the same playbook sorry this hit way too close to home um yeah absolutely would you just question would you classify this as a feminist novel
0: um uh... i know i threw that like just out at like out of left field at you yeah i would because um it's a woman openly describing the shit that men do to women to keep them down and the tricks and the tactics that they use to do it and calling it what mm-hmm. it, it's calling a fish a fish. And I don't think that, um, like, people people talk about gaslighting as if it's, like, a recent invention. Right. It isn't. It's just, like, it's a very um, insidious, uh, like, it, it slides under, right? Like, it goes under the radar yeah. a lot. And then we've got this book from, like, 100 years ago, which is just like, oh, by the way, this is awful and this is happening every day. Right. So I would say yes. I would say yes as well for all of the
1: same reasons. Now, here's a new thing that we're doing with our read-along, comment of no, the week. No pressure.
0: No pressure. Who gets comment
1: of the week, Anna?
0: Ding, 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 ding. This week, Eleanor Rust, you're getting comment of the week for your Pinterest board. Um, it's like super in keeping with the spirit of the group, right? Like, how can we interpret this text? How can we visualize it? Like, what can we learn from it? And then sharing that information with each other. Yeah,
1: I love it. There were so many good comments though. You guys like seriously keep up this discussion. It was brilliant. It was like the highlight of my week. Um, but yeah, Eleanor, I wish we had something to give you, but we don't. We don't. Like-
0: do you just know that I've shared your uh, personal information on a public forum? <laughs> <laughs> Not personal. So yeah. well,
1: take, well you, you get all of our love, Eleanor. How about that? Yeah, how love about it? hugs and kisses.
0: The bit where I say like social security never. Yeah, don't worry about that.